Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. It's the Friday before the final regular season game for Southern Conference men's and women's basketball. Next week, it doesn't get any better. Championship week officially kicks off in college basketball. Southern Conference Tournament starts on Thursday. It's women Thursday, Friday, Championship Sunday. For the men, it's the play-in Friday. And then quarterfinals Saturday, Sunday semis, championship on Monday. So it's getting down to that march and that madness thing coming around. ETSU, though, as we backtrack, we'll get into that uh, a little bit uh, later, uh, probably in this segment. But ETSU certainly knows what seed they're going to be thanks to a 60-54 win over the Wofford Terriers. And a lot of people think that ETSU, a championship-caliber team, frontrunner to be the Southern Conference champion, go to the NCAA tournament. There is some discrepancies across the board as to who thinks the number two team in the league is going to be. And you had some thoughts on Wednesday on the show before Furman and UNCG met. UNCG number nine, tight four-point win over Wofford and three-point win over VMI. I ask you now, who is the better team entering the final week of league play, Furman or UNCG? Uh, I'm, I would go UNCG. I think it'll be proven tonight as well. Was it not proven? Any reflections on that? Oh, <laughs> shocking. I'll be honest, shocking. The way that UNCG have played at home, and they've got a couple home losses. One, obviously, to ETSU. Two heartbreaking half-court heaves in two different buildings for home games. And then Furman did to UNCG late in the game what UNCG had been doing to teams, which is sort of – It'd be a tight game and then rattle off, you know, 12 of the last, you know, uh, 15 points or something like that, or 12 of the last 14 points or 14 last 18 and, you know, end up winning by double digits when it maybe wasn't a double-digit game. And Furman, just as the game got stronger uh, late where you think, and I even remember checking the score at one of the – I didn't check it a lot just because ETSU game was so tight, but I did check it at one point. And it was just a, a few points difference. And it was one of those after our game was over. I clicked over, just checked score. And all of a sudden, Furman's up like 14 or something crazy out of the blue. So, give Furman credit. They took a tough loss at ETSU and didn't let that loss beat them again. You know, you kind of hear coaches say that. So, um, I was proven wrong on that day for sure. Brad Stone at Stone MD wrote in last night. And we appreciate listening, Brad, and for writing to us that if you do think that Furman is the still inferior team to UNCG, that you share those thoughts and back them up, or 
if you do think now your opinion has changed, and with that victory, the 81-67 won for Furman on Wednesday night. Your opinion has changed. Why so? Well, I'm a firm believer of you settle it on the floor, and each team had beaten each team, but the team that won more recently is obviously Furman. Um, And I think the way Furman did it was what was shocking, and I think that's why it changes the opinion. I think if Furman – you know, squeaked out a game by one or yet again UNCG loses on a half-court heave, right? I I think it's different. But just the way they sort of dominated and took the fight to UNCG, and, it, you know, it's it's interesting because they're both got – it's weird. They both have scoring options, but it just seems like for a majority of the time not all those scoring options are working at the same time. You know, and, and it all kind of goes for UNCG. It's all built around really Isaiah Miller. And then can Galloway give you some more? Um, you know, can Lowry give you some more? Uh, or Langley, I'm sorry. Can Langley give you some more? You know, situation like that where Furman, I think, does tend to have more scoring options that guys that, that can score the basketball because if Gurley gets hot, man, he's tough to, tough to contain, especially being – uh, you know, kind of like Galloway, except more athletic, and so I think he's got an advantage there. Clay Mounts is probably, uh, and e- even so for me, underrated, and I think sometimes until you see him play, like it's easy to discount what he's done, but then when you watch him play, I think he's very good. Jordan Lyons, I think, proved me wrong in Freedom Hall with what he was able to do. So I think Furman has more scoring options. The big thing is when UNCG is really playing defense, that's their bread and butter but if Furman's clicking and got several guys scoring, getting to the free throw line, they're going to be tough to beat. So I, I do think, because I believe in results, I believe in when you play head-to-head and you went on the road the way they did, I, I think I do reverse course and, and eat my crow and, and, and take it like a, a broadcaster should instead of doubling down. I think I was proven wrong. And there are times, I think you know me, that I would double down and say, definitely, definitely, I, yeah. I, I don't care. But I, 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 do, I do think uh, that I was um, – Incorrect. I thought that going in, I would have backed it up, you know, come high water, and then looking at the result, going back and watching some of it, I'm going to say, you know, maybe that day, but at least momentum going in the tournament, I think favors Furman over UNCG. Plus, I would also say it's interesting because I think you get penalized for being the two now. I I do. I, I think, you know, most situations when you're the two and you get a seven, I think that's a huge advantage. I know we're sidetracking into some seeding talk, and maybe we'll do that and take a break and get into other stuff. But, uh, you know, it's our podcast, whatever we want to do. But I, I think, you know, Furman having to play conceivably, unless, unless Citadel pulls the upset of all upsets, right, unless the Citadel pulls the massive upset, then you're sitting in a situation where Wofford is going to be the seven. And then Wofford and Furman, arch rivals, would have to play in a quarterfinal game. And then the winner would get Chattanooga and uh, UNCG, which Chattanooga has given Wofford, if Wofford was to magically win two games, they've beaten them twice. And if Chattanooga was to play Furman, they've had two single-digit games with them. And then obviously if UNCG were to win and Furman hold chalk against their arch rival Wofford, I just think it's a tough draw anytime it is. And, and, and I could be giving too much respect to, to Wofford and not some of the other teams towards the bottom of the league, but I, I just think whoever the two-seed is to sit there and just read the name, I've got to play. If if everybody higher seeds win, I'm Furman. I've got to play Wofford. I've got to play UNCG. I've got to play ETSU. Does that not just sound tougher than 
what most times you step into a league and you're a two seed. So to me, that's that. It's almost a. It's I guess it's not a penalty, but it feels like a penalty. I mean, the good news is for the two seed is Wofford's got to play another game. The bad news is, let's say Wofford starts to figure it out and Hoover and those guys go lights out in the first game against the Citadel, which everything the Citadel's done this year would lead me to believe Wofford's going to have a good day. Right. Then you ride that momentum the next day, and you never know. I mean, so I, I, I think it's a little bit of a – and we've seen a 10 seed, and I want to say it was Furman, actually. It was Furman. Furman was a 10 seed and made it to the championship game and barely lost the title game. I think they lost to Wofford that year. But – the Southern Conference has had a situation where teams playing on Friday have been able to advance to a championship game before. So I think it's interesting to see that, that Furman, although I think you know it's, it's always better to win because everyone's trying to keep an at-large hope alive. Not just ETSU. Furman and UNCG are still trying to keep that hope alive because that was a quad one win for Furman on the road. And I haven't checked the rankings to see if UNCG stayed in the top 75 net, but UNCG only has to get back in the top 75 net for it to magically reconvert back to a quad one win because somehow it's at the end of the year standing out when you play them. I think the only easy out in this tournament is Citadel. And I know you mentioned Agreed. the 10 seed and such, but uh, I just don't think at this point in the season, if you haven't won a conference game, you're going to be able to do much in the league tournament. And heck, maybe they prove me wrong. But again, their matchup is Wofford, as you said. And I 100% agree with you that them being the seven seed, a team that granted lost a lot from last year, right? McGee, Jackson, uh, Aluma. So we've talked about that extensively on the show, talked about it on Wednesday before the Bucks went out and beat Wofford on the road, granted in dramatic fashion and come from behind fashion, which we'll talk about a little bit more in segment two. But you look at every other team, and I, I can come up with a reason why they win a game. You know, Sanford, if they've got Sharky rolling, uh, if they do some things like they did against ETSU and other guys start to produce offensively, what was it, three guys in the span of like four minutes that had hit 15 or less threes during the season – started to get hot from outside and Sharkey can obviously be a bit of a game wrecker in many different aspects of the game VMI I mean they've been in so many games and even clipped a team you know recently that honestly I don't think many people saw them beating uh, so granted only three wins for both of those teams that being said when those two match up in Asheville I can guarantee that neither of them is going to fold for the other and then once uh, I believe it's going to be VMI but once whichever team advances you know you can look at the results recently even and say well ETSU won by single digits against both of them and it certainly wasn't easy against both and then you move up to Wofford and we just saw what they're able to do they just seem to make things really messy for ETSU in particular, but they have the shooters, right? They've got Murphy, they've got Hoover, um, and down low, I, I thought one of the big things that changed the game was Chavez Goodwin getting in foul trouble early on uh, against ETSU and not being able to play a lot in that first half, and even you know picking up that third foul was big also. So if you can keep Goodwin on the floor and have your shooters and then you know if Messiah Jones can do anything against any other team uh, like he did against ETSU in the two matchups you never know there Chattanooga you know a team that's um, I think when Matt Ryan's been hot one that's been tough to beat Mercer what do they want now 9 to 12 10 to 13 uh, Western Carolina you know they've got Dotson you know after he missed ETSU's first game that was really the only game he missed during that stretch but he has just been a force down low I think it's 15 of the last 16 games he's got double digit rebounds if you can get him and Mason Faulkner both producing and then Ano Steger hit what seven threes on Wednesday so there's that trio and, How and then Halverson can knock down shots as well for Western and then UNCG Furman and ETSU kind of speak for themselves so I, I really think one to nine 
nine. And if you want to throw in ten, you know, absolutely, uh, th- that's fine. Uh, I think this is going to be a really interesting tournament. And now that seeding, not necessarily seeding set, but matchups are set, uh, looking at all of them, uh, there's some juicy ones, no doubt. And I think you're right. I think the two does have it worse. Uh, then maybe the three does, so perhaps UNCG's path a, a little bit smoother to try and get to that championship game, but no matter what seed you're in, I can see anything happening in a lot of these matchups. Yeah, I, I think it, it's interesting because the 8 nine is going to play Saturday, and they're going to turn around and play again in the conference tournament, which always just stinks. I mean, out of all the things that can happen, but, but Sanford and VMI will turn around and, and play again. Wofford has the second longest losing streak in the league. And they will play, and now they could obviously go to Mercer and win, but they will play Citadel, which has the longest losing streak and has yet to win a conference game uh, this season. So for the Terriers, you know, they they could easily pick up a win. I think the middle of the pack's very interesting this year because, you know, a lot of people clearly had ETSU firm in UNCG. Look at all the preseason polls. I think everyone was pretty much in agreement. From there, most people thought – Wofford at four, and then there was really sort of a dogfight on who they thought were going to do what. And the year that Western Mercer and Chattanooga have had, honestly, have not just been a quite surprise, but have been boost to the league. And I think it's helped, uh, again, the Southern Conference, where I think it's 13th overall in conference RPI, which is where they were last year, be able to maintain that again. Again, able to maintain a possibility of a two-bid league in which UNCG first team out of the tournament which doesn't make you feel any better about anything but they were at least in the conversation and and on the cusp of having that it'll be interesting to see if that'll be the new norm of the committee is it going to be like well the first team out was a oh gosh it was a mid-major and we'll give them the number one seed the nit and we'll see how it does but at least they we make them think they're in the conversation Hmm. uh and they did put belmont in i'll give them that they did get belmont at large for the ohio valley i still think that was more about let's give rick bird a trophy on his going away farewell tour that sometimes college people like to do as opposed to un because i think uncg was better than belmont last year and i know it's difficult because they're never going to play you're never going to know you just uh, watching both those teams, and I think UNCG would have won that first-round game just exactly like Furman would have won the first-round game. That being said, I'll be interested to see how it is, but the Western Mercer 4-5 game in years past, you'd probably be like, oh, yeah, let's get that, and the one seed's going to beat the 8-9 winner from the night before, roll through the 4-5, and then not break a sweat. Well, this year, that's clearly not the case. I, I would argue if Wofford wins the quarterfinal games, could be very interesting because Sanford does not particularly give ETSU a fit unless they're in their own building. That would be the better matchup for ETSU, I think. VMI clearly is playing better. They've mucked it up against the Bucks. They do a great job against it. ETSU always seems to have a single-digit game of VMI. And so I think ETSU would love to play Sanford over VMI in at least the Southern Conference Tournament. That would be my guess. The 4-5 really is flip a quarter right now because we didn't see Western Carolina with Carlos Dotson. So now Dotson will play Saturday, and we are going to break that game down. We are going to go back and talk about Wofford in just a second. But have not seen that. We've seen Mercer before. ETSU made some adjustments, able to get back. Does Jerome Rodriguez and his legs and start to play a little bit more, does that help against Dotson when he's in? Does that help more against Mercer when the big guys – uh, you know, Bafuto and Bender were, were having their way with the Bucks inside Freedom Hall. We'll have to see uh, what that is. But I don't think they'll be I, – I don't know 
that there'll be a gimme in the quarterfinals anywhere. And I don't know – semis, I have no doubt there's not going to be a gimme. And I have no doubt the championship's going to be a dogfight. I think this is going to be one of the more entertaining. And whoever survives a, a three or possible, again, four-day bloodbath for some teams to, to, to manage to win the tournament is going to have a well-earned tournament berth. While we're talking big picture stuff, a couple of rankings came out yesterday. And now with one of them, I'm not putting a whole lot of credence into it, but I'll then lead into the one that's a bit more reputable. Rebecca Grant on Twitter. Didn't know who she was. Never really heard of her. Uh, apparently does some, like, sports analysis type yeah. stuff and uh, has done, like, acting and stuff in the yeah, past. She's, anyway. done, she's done some crazy talking in her day. No, no doubt. So <laughs> she uh, is a, not necessarily an expert on the matter, but she put ETSU yesterday seventh most likely to win the NCAA tournament behind Kansas, Baylor, Dayton, Creighton, Florida State, and Auburn. Then you go to the more reputable and perhaps the one that pays a bit more attention, covers it for a living, Matt Norlander for CBS Sports, put ETSU 13th in his college basketball power rankings ahead of, amongst others, Auburn, Louisville, and Duke. How much stock should people put into that type of ranking? And do you think with that ranking, Matt Norlander is saying ETSU is the 13th best team in the country? Or are these rankings that they have maybe a bit more intricate where you can't say one thing to another in that respect? Probably the latter uh, is my guess. And, you know... I'll give this to Matt Norlander. He's been there's actually been a couple of segments I've watched on on CBS Sports, um, CBS Sports Network, where they've done a bunch of roundtables. And every time it comes to which mid major team do you think is going to do this, he has basically pounded the table with East Tennessee State. And so uh, there's been a couple Northern Iowa's in there. Northern Iowa lost last week. Then he's convinced a couple other panel members last show that hey, East Tennessee State is it. It's almost like. And, and I love this because you very rarely get a bunch of people to jump on the mid-major, let's get that bandwagon. But when you get a couple of guys that are respected like that, that pound the table and say that, it's almost like he is desperately trying to say, if worst case for ETSU happens and they don't get in, do not screw a quality basketball team because you don't think the Southern Conference deserves whatever no matter what ETSU did at LSU, no matter what they did against Kansas. It is a lot of people are just going to go with, well, we, we, we'd rather have that ninth Big Ten team then and the, the seventh ACC team or whatever it is. Like There are more people in that category than there are, let's get a second Southern Conference team in. And I think the more you get that, I think the respect of Dick Vitale actually voted ETSU, I think, 24th or, uh, out of his ballot. Uh, I want to say it was 20. There were a few people that put ten, uh, ETSU at 23, but Vital had ETSU, if I'm not mistaken, 24th. And I'll try to look that up real quick while I talk. But you get Vital pounding the table. You get Norlander pounding the table. These are guys that are respected. Joe Lenardi right now, a 10 seed for ETSU if they were to win. And I, I think that's a situation where all that that happens, the more your name's out there, the more people are talking and doing, then you have a better shot of getting that. So, Norlander, back to the original question, I think is more of looking at all these things that goes into his rankings. I don't know that it is the 13th best team means the they're 13th on the list to win the championship. Right. I, I just think for whatever he's breaking it down right now, the 13th best team. I don't think his rankings, and I've looked at them before, aren't necessarily if 13 played 14, 13 is going to win. 
I don't think he has it set up that way. To me, the more he has it out there, the more he's pounding the table and, and screaming at ETSU, the, just the better off it is for the Bucks to maybe have an opportunity to get a look. Talking about a team last year that obviously did something similar to what ETSU is doing this year, obviously in the same conference. We know him very well. If Wofford from last season and ETSU from this year were to play – what do you think the result would be? And I think that will be able to tell us a little bit more. And obviously, you're not on the committee, right? And mm-hmm. you're yada, yada, yada. Uh, pros versus Jays. We get it. But your opinion, if the Bucks and the Terriers mixed it up from last year's team to this year's team, are they on that same footing? Because so far, you look at the results, and certainly there are lots of similarities you can draw from one team to the other. I think, the, I, I think each team would win on their home floor. And ETSU almost won on the home floor last year. But I think Wofford had a special year. And it's hard to put that into context year to year. But what they were able to do in the year they did it, I think if these two teams met, I think Wofford would have beat ETSU at their place. And I think ETSU uh, would have been a couple of points better than they were maybe one at regulation instead of go to overtime here. Now the ultimate question is you're asking me, they get in the suck off tournament, neutral floor, championship game atmosphere. Who's going to win that game? What's your answer? I mean, I'm, I'm going to – I think – Trying he, to take bias out I of think <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. The first reaction was just blurt ETSU yeah, right, no matter right. what, right? I think ETSU, the way they would be able to match up and the way they play offense um, would really, really be tough – the only question I have, McGee, not how even hot that, is he that day? If Rodriguez would be healthy enough to help out and spell Gasson on Jackson, because I still think Jackson has advantage over Lucas on the on what would be Jackson's offensive end. I think Lucas could probably hold his own on his offensive end, but two hundred and seventy some pounds of Cam Jackson, like eventually you're going to have to have another big body sort of help out on that. So to me, I think. Rodriguez McGee's the ultimate like I mean he could throw 50 on right. the board anytime and he could be Kentucky and not hit a three at all so uh, it I don't know I, I to me it depends on what Rodriguez does I would almost like to uh, defer to next week <laughs> just to see what Rodriguez because that would be right now that would ultimately tell me because ETSU would have if you're saying take the team right this second and Rodriguez going to play five minutes, I, I think it honestly probably still favored Wofford because of everything they had going last year and the way they were rolling and and just everyone knew their role did whatever. I think ETSU knows their role better this year. I think they're much better defensively on the perimeter. Even Trey Boyd's better on the perimeter. The inside is the only part that would scare me with that because it's not just Cam Jackson. When he comes out, you got Kiva Luma. Right. Then you had Matthew Pegram. I mean, they're rolling three guys in there that are 250 or better. And if you didn't have Rodriguez, then you're just looking at, do you put Corley in? I mean, I, I mean Joe, I, I just think Wofford would have the advantage there. After the tournament, Rodriguez played a lot. I think I would have a better sort of apples to apples because both teams would have gone through a conference tournament. So a little bit of where I was going with that. If ETSU wins through the tournament as Wofford did, can they rise as high as a seven seed? since we're talking seeding NCAA tournament type stuff. Well, and, and some of that still depends on, on what everybody else does. Can they? Sure. I mean, Wofford was hanging around that, that 10, 10 seed line going into Southern Conference last year. And looking again, I'm just using one real quick to click on Joe Lenardi. 
He updated ETSU's a 10 seed versus Marquette in Tampa. Winner of that gets Florida State or Little Rock. You love to see a rematch for Little Rock. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, that's that's about where Wofford was about the time going into the Southern Conference Tournament because we all watched that. Then Wofford won Southern Conference Tournament. Then you saw some other upsets happen in tournaments, and Wofford continued to sort of climb the ladder without playing because they'd already secured a ticket, plus they went undefeated in the league. I think I – don't, I don't know that they'd get to seven. I think eight, nine's realistic um, for ETSU, and maybe Wofford gets a little better uh, of a leg up because they did go undefeated during the league. They did particularly have – a big win, though. Uh, I mean, beat South Carolina. South Carolina didn't make the tournament. VTSU beats LSU, and I think that was South Carolina at home. I think they beat South Carolina at home last year. So, if VTSU has a win at LSU and LSU gets in, I think you could make an argument, even though ETSU didn't go undefeated during the league, you would have an opportunity to just say, well, if Wofford can climb that high and get a seven seed, you know, ETSU win over LSU plus a tight game at Kansas. Is that enough to say, well, we'll elevate them from an 8-9 line to a 7? And I would love to be the 7 because, let's be honest, the 7-10 matchup has had a much better chance versus a 2 than the 8-9s have had versus the 1. And that's just – that that right there you're just being greedy. Like right now you need to get in. If you want a game, hallelujah, Bucks haven't done it since 92 um, or – 68 or whatever that was so you still got to look at a situation where etsu needs to get in worry about seating later but i i I think the highest that would ever go is a seven i think more likely eight nine ten range is probably where they're going to fall it was interesting because that was a road win at south carolina by 20 matter of fact then they had a game against at the time number two kansas which is interesting for this year because etsu when i believe they played kansas kansas was number three if memory serves bucks only lost by 12 now Maybe we're nitpicking, still double digits, et cetera. But uh, the resumes and the conversation gets fun, and maybe one we should save more for next week. Uh, oh, we go full speculation route? Next week or two weeks from now, I suppose. Uh, once we see things settle in the regular season, then definitely after the tournament we know a little bit more. Um, we, we, should, we should just do a championship week show after yeah. next week and just crush other people's tournaments and their teams. That sounds good. Just go straight we're good at that. on it. Right? Yep. You want to do that? I mean, that's our wheelhouse. Yeah, it absolutely is. By the way, I, I did. I do want to say uh, Dick Vitale did vote ETSU twenty fourth. Dave Preston and um, David Cloninger voted ETSU twenty third. Vitale and Jordan Hansen twenty four. Brian McInnes, Luke DeCook, and Mark Berman uh, voted ETSU twenty fifth. Good on their people. AP ballots. We Good love people. them. Follow them. Let them know they're some of the, the best right. experts. Yes, absolutely, they are the seven smartest people. in Foremost America. college basketball minds. All right. come across. How about we step aside for timeout? Okay, and then we'll talk ETSU Wofford. Okay. and then we'll get into the preview of West Carolina. Okay, this timeout, San Jose Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last seventy years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now. We've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Spooky Santos and a sidekick back with you as we get you set up. I don't know if that's spooky or... Happy Halloween, Jason. Well, I don't know if that's spooky or if I feel like we need to be in one of those uh, 
Was it Bud Light commercial where they got the knights in the armor and we're getting ready just to, mm. or Game of Thrones esque, like we're getting ready to have a big major battle? Dilly dilly. Not that I want, I, I do know that. I didn't know Ga- Game of Thrones, but you know what I'm saying. All right, let's talk a little bit about ETSU Wofford. And ETSU uh, pretty much did what they normally do. They had Wofford right where they wanted them, down 14 with 14 <laughs> to go, right? That's, uh, I'm sure you felt good about it at that point. It was interesting because, you know, it was one of those things where a lot of years I'm pr- I, I tend secretly to be the doom and gloom guy where it's like like <laughs> watching watching live stats of ETSU Clemson baseball and there were two on it was two outs I, I, bottom I, of the night I had convinced two. myself Clemson's gonna hit the rerun homer like right. I I had convinced myself of that I have convinced myself of other sports doing the same thing including men's basketball doing a game even the year they won the championship. Uh, with Cromer and all those guys, I'm sitting there going, oh, we're going to lose this game. Oh, we're going to lose. In the back of my mind. This year, I'm the exact opposite. I've gone uh, to – for a guy I don't pull for anymore, Tom Brady, I go full Tom Brady mode where it's like they're down 14 to Mercer with seven seconds to go in their place. I'm like, you know, we still got this. Like, I'm completely brainwashed and we've got this. So, I was not in panic mode down 14 with 14 to go. Um, talked to Steve Cunningham sitting in my right, and I'm like, yeah, all we got to do is get this thing down to – six and by like four minutes ago and we're good and like two minutes later it was down to like four points and then it got kind of rocking and rolling now you just had a feeling the way ETSU was playing and honestly first half they had a lot of defensive miscues I mean a lot of defensive miscues and Wofford made them pay second half there were one or two defensive miscues early and then ETSU was playing pretty good basketball Wofford made just enough plays here and there but you could kind of feel it getting tougher for Wofford to make play after play and then you you just sort of like hey if they get a couple stops the way ETSU's playing offensively like th- this thing's going to take off and that's exactly what happened it eventually took off and it was an amazing game because I could point to everybody that stepped out on the floor that had a moment that changed the game and I don't think I can say that in every game and even somebody like Bonnie Patterson didn't score it he had a huge offensive rebound uh in the second half and a defensive board after a free throw that ended up being pretty big as well so I mean even a guy didn't score Joe Hughley hit one bucket it was a three-point bucket during the middle of that run in the second half you know Rodriguez uh, didn't play a lot but he had a nice assist when the Bucks were struggling to score offensively in the first half Pat Good same thing he had that steal went coast to coast was able to get a bucket plus he had a couple of nice inside passes that led to layups and then you look at Lucas Kassan with maybe the play of the game to swing it and give ETSU the lead for the first time at 48-47. The dream break, as I like to call it. With the, I did enjoy uh, that. The the steal and then, of course, the high-pitched Jay call on the slam dunk. Tisdale, the alley-oop to Bo Hodges, they combine on that. Davian Williamson, a couple of plays late getting to the rim and scoring. And then, of course, uh, and, and the three where he got fooled by the student body or band that was giving him a countdown that was too early, and he shot it too early. But I was talking to Coach uh, Jason Shea, assistant coach Jason Shea after the game, and he said, you know, sometimes you'll be amazed how much that makes a guy focus because he thinks it's winding down that he really steps into the shot and takes it. And he hit that. And then Trey Boyd hit a couple of big shots, as Trey Boyd does. And I can give you a reason why all nine guys that stepped out on the floor was the reason. And that's what championship teams do. Everybody found a way in their own way to contribute to lead to ETSU's victory. I think he nailed it. Uh, I mean, Davian Williamson didn't score in the first half and then comes out with an early and one, gets another layup, and then the three. And it just seemed like everything was going down down the stretch. And that's the 
incredible thing about this team. Now, I was not necessarily as confident, you said it, as uh, you were when we were down 14 with 14 to go, but we were fine. then you look at how this month specifically has unfolded, and it's pretty incredible. I'm not sure I've seen stats quite like this first to second half splits over an entire month of basketball for a team and have it be consistently what it's been. In February, eight games, ETS used minus four in the first half, plus 100 in the second half in eight games. Minus four to plus 100. A hunchy. ETSU's outscored opponents in the second half eight straight games in 13 of the last 14. They've scored 40 or more in the second half seven times in February of the eight games. And the other half, they scored 38 against Furman after scoring 42 in the first half. This calendar year, 10 40-plus point second halves, just two first halves with 40-plus. And you look over the entirety of 2020 to this point in the calendar year, ETSU in the first half, plus 25 in the second half, plus 119. So it's not just this month, but this month is where it's shown particularly and most thoroughly that the Bucks have been just a second-half team. I mean, they outscored Citadel by 18, Chat by 22 on the road, UNCG by 17, Wofford this past game by 16. And so should I have been nervous? You know, maybe not, because it seems like the Bucks always make a run. I was worried because the first five or six minutes, and you always mention it right before the Bucks need to come back, which has been often, it seemed like, in this month of February, most important month of the regular season in college basketball, you always mention those first four or five minutes. You know, if you're down, you can be out after those four or five minutes, or you can be right back in the game. And rarely does it seem like it's not one of those two options. More often than not, it seems like you're either out of it or you're back in it. It's not if, let's say, it's a 10-point deficit as it was at the half for ETSU 29-19 against Wofford on Wednesday. It's either going to, like, 20 or it's going to 3. And this second half got six minutes in and it was 14 and to me that wasn't necessarily putting the bucks away because as we know 26 points through 26 minutes is probably not where ETSU is going to stay the rest of the game right somebody's going to get hot everybody's going to start contributing that urgency is going to set in as it seems that it has throughout February and throughout this conference season at least the 2020 portion of this conference season and it absolutely did so should I have been nervous Uh, maybe not but 14 points is still a lot to make up in 14 minutes and whether it was Joe Hughley with really the one main contribution that he gave or whether it was Lucas Goussaint who got the first basket of for the Bucks in each half and then as you said made essentially the play of the game swipe and score 55 feet running down the floor slamming it as a seven footer or if it's Trey Boyd late David Williamson late guy after guy on the roster that played it was a total team effort and even late, you know, I, I wasn't completely convinced because you go to, what was it, the last media timeout and you got a four-point lead and then Hoover gets a little jumper and then ugh, Messiah Jones. Oh, a three how po- great. A three-point play. How? I, I, I don't know what it is. And this happens a lot. There are people who just have good games versus certain teams, and this isn't unusual. This is, And it goes across sports. There are nice – utility players that can take an ace and have massive numbers against them and not really anybody else. So this this isn't unusual, but Messiah Jones is only averaging like six point six point eight, six points, maybe right at seven. Did he get his career high again? Yeah. What did he finish with? Eighteen? Nineteen. Nineteen. He had eighteen the first time. He's got thirty seven in two games. He had in the lat in the seven previous games, I think he had scored a combined twenty seven points. <laughs> 
That's what was amazing. I looked we can at, laugh I, about it I now, but it was making me he, mad on he Wednesday. he is, and the confidence, it, it's one thing, because it, you know, when you have that first game and nobody knew who he was, and I, I certainly had him on my chart, and I had little notes about him, but I didn't really know who he was until that game. And I go back and I watch the game against I always do, and I'm like, man, I, he did some really nice things. And then studying for this game, the last game he tissue played versus Wofford, I was like, man, I, I wonder how, you know, that game jump-started him and went. And I just started looking. I'm like, he's only got six double-figure games. And most of them were before ETSU. And now he's got seven double-figure games and two against ETSU, and he's averaging 18.5 points against him. He, the confidence level versus, the, versus ETSU is incredible. I mean, in the same token, Nathan Hoover is – I think uh, somebody had tweeted at me because I would mentioned uh, – you know, we talked about him maybe not being the guy, and they were like, well, you know, it's just against you guys he struggles, but against, I can't remember who it was, he's averaging 25 and a half points for his career. I'm like, okay. Well, he clearly, like Messiah Jones, has that team's number. But to be fair, to be fair, whoever wrote that, we don't just look at games that ETSU plays against Nathan sure. Hoover. We look at the entirety of well, the body and, work, and, and the guy does our, not have Our it. point on Nathan Hoover wasn't that Nathan Hoover doesn't have 25 points in him. No. Our, our point was to the effect of, are you the guy if you have to wait to be a senior, which is a separate conversation. And nobody said Nathan Hoover is not an all-league-type player or is a guy that can't do things to help your team win. He was a great role player in this situation. He has struggled when teams have focused only on That's him. That's what he is. He's that, a very, very good role right, player, and, and he's and an average number one at best. Tol- tol- totally agree. And, we, you know, and probably – when people talk about aces in baseball, they talk about wide receivers, and you hear a number two, number three, you do number one. I mean, it makes more sense in in that scenario, maybe more than how we're looking at it in basketball. But the the point we were making was separate from what was sent to me in a direct message from somebody. But I'm just saying, <laughs> well, I got fired up, so I'll get fired up again. But uh, I didn't that, see that, it on Twitter. I was wondering what no, 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 it was a direct. It was it was a direct message. But uh, my my point was, it, it's not that Nathan Hoover was dog food people okay and and, and uh, don't confuse what we were saying to that but my ultimate point and to that guy's point he makes my point though people own different teams sometimes you know and there are people that play really well against certain teams that's the reason why i ask every game our sports information folks hey i want career numbers versus this team and their career numbers versus us because it never fails there's always somebody on there where you're thinking holy cow i that guy's monster numbers versus us. And then you go look at other games, it's like, well, it really doesn't. Messiah Jones could be a four-year guy where he's going to average 20 points versus ETSU and average six against the rest and of the league. And that's to the extreme, right? But with Nathan Hoover, he's not shooting 30% this year against ETSU from three and shot 47% against ETSU from three last year. He shot 47% from three all of last year against every team that they played, and he's shooting 30% this year against every team that Wofford has played. So just the yeah. numbers tell you in their entirety. Anyway, right. point B. Yes, yes. Messiah Jones gets the end one. It's 52-51. to 51. It's five in a row for Wofford. And I'm just like, I really thought this one was over. Go to the timeout. Buck's feeling good in the huddle. Steve Forbes firing him up. Let's go put this thing away. And then all of a sudden, boom, five straight. And I was sure coming into this game of a few things. It wasn't going to go early on this contest like the first one did. It wasn't going to be war of attrition, low scoring, lid on the bucket on both ends of the floor. Wrong. So as I'm going to defend my point about Nathan Hoover, I'm also going to cut myself down a little bit because wrong about that. ETSU with 19 points in the first half and then 26 points through 26 minutes. I was sure that Messiah Jones wasn't going to go off again. Wrong. And I was sure if this game was close late 
that Wofford had lost too many close games in the league to lose again. And they would close fold. To the league. I know, no, guilty, Run. guilty. Let me jump on that train too. I, I think I even word for word said that when you get those close games and you get the oh no here we go again, you tend to fold up. That was not the case because when ETSU took the lead on multiple occasions late in the game, Wofford was able to come back and make a play and or take the lead back. So that tells me I was wrong in that scenario too. So we both, I will take that one with you. I was wrong on that. Yeah, and I, I thought that this was going to be the game where if it was close, Wofford had had enough and they were going to step up and win a tight game. And I also worried with that about VMI. But as it turned out, VMI won a different close game, that being against Western Carolina on the road. And Wofford still has not won the close game, and they've got another chance to do so tomorrow and maybe in the tournament, you know, whatever. But it is incredible the way they've lost games. I think it's now, what, nine league losses by 49 combined points. And one of those losses was by 13. So I, so eight by 36. I was talking to uh, Jim Noble, who's been on this show um, ever since he took over from my good buddy Mark Hauser as the play-by-play guy for the Terriers. And he was like, you know, it's crazy. And I said, well, Jay, I know you're still sort of new to the league. I said, but you were definitely here last year when ETSU won a football championship. And I said, everything went their way. And now this year it seems like it didn't. I said, last year you guys had some bounces. He knew where I was going with it. He goes, no. He said, there were a couple of things last year that you couldn't make up that helped Wofford late in games, and now we're not getting any of those. And I said, I I think it's the same thing. I think, you know, sometimes when you have a magical run, it's tough to keep that full magic going. Um, And I think that's what's happened to Wofford in this scenario. Not hitting a three in the second half, also a big reason why Wofford, they, you know, I think they were four of 12 in the first half, 0 of seven in the second half. So here's a little trivia for you 60 halves of basketball for ETSU this year. Okay. How many halves has ETSU given up? One, three, or less? Wow. One, three, or less. That is a great bit of trivia. So this blew my mind. And uh, I'm going to go low because you're building it up, and I want it to be very dramatic. Twelve. Okay, so nine. Hold on, nine times it's been zero. Oh wow! Five times it's been one. So fourteen, 14. times. Almost that's, a quarter of their. That's twenty three point three percent. One game, one half away from being exactly what right. you said, a quarter. But think about that in today's game, the number of shots taken. The whole two-by-two-by-two that Jason Shea talks about, which did not work out in the first half because they had a couple threes, and I thought, oh, boy, here we go. And they did hit a couple threes back-to-back, then they missed a couple, and then they got a couple back-to-back to go again, and I thought it's just going to start raining down. But then they go for seven in the second half. And I think ETSU has done a great job of knowing that just the way analytics in the game and everything's going, and to be honest, the way mid-majors play is going to be more three-point shooting because you just don't have – the Azabuke's down low to eat people alive like he does. So, uh, or Cam Jackson to eat people alive like he did. And just to illustrate your point, over the last four games that ETSU's played, VMI took 33 threes against the Bucks. Furman took 22. Sanford took 20. And then Wofford took 19. So that stat is especially impressive. Now, granted, I'm not looking at the entirety of the season, but it's, it's across the board, it seems like, teams are taking, unless you're a VMI or a Citadel, they're taking 35 or 43 as a game. Pretty much everybody's taking between, what, 17 and 25, somewhere in there. So to hold for an entire half, half of the game, to one or no threes, your opponent on a consistent basis is pretty telling. And it 
speaks to the area where the Bucks needed to get better the most this year, defending the arc, which is, I think, the really impressive part, that that kind of stat exists at the area that ETSU was perhaps weakest in last year. Uh, yeah, and I think they recognize that. It was the worst three-point defense uh, percentage-wise given up from anybody in the history of ETSU basketball. Now, wow. there were also a ton more threes attempted last year, but in the same token, that means they still made more. <laughs> so, Coach Forbes, that was something they harped on in the offseason. That was something Kevin Brown was like. I remember him looking at me and going, do I give Coach Forbes this stat? I'm like, yes, because Coach Forbes is one of those guys. Like, if you can – find something that could help the team it's same thing like randy sanders like i at first when i started giving him some stats that i kind of keep up with on my own that are off the beaten path and he comes like eh. and then about game four or five last year he was like can you make me copy those and now this year every tuesday like, hey, have you done that yet <laughs> no no coach uh sometimes i have sometimes i'm like no no i haven't yet coach it's usually like when i'll get it to as soon as i can i mean and he starts breaking it down so it is amazing to see uh, what exactly ETSU's been able to do and the change. Now, another team that's going to shoot um, a lot of threes is the Catamounts, and that's the next game up for ETSU. In my five years at ETSU, this team has displayed the ETSU tough motto more than any team I've ever been around. I mean, that, that was a tough, hard-fought win. Wofford came out and just played so hard. And we were playing good defense. We couldn't score. My Lord, we just couldn't make them. We were sped up. And that had a lot to do with them. They sped us up. We weren't physical around the basket. I think we're 6 for 22 at halftime around the basket. It was, I mean, it was ridiculous. Second half, it changed. First of all, they didn't make it three in the second half. That was huge. Once we saw the ball go in, some other guys started to have feel like, okay, we could, we could score. And the ball started to move, and the defense loosened up, and we just played so much better. Um, Luke's another almost double-double. Trey, Bo, like you said, Pun made a couple big free throws. The garden out there. I mean, just a tremendous team effort. We wrapped up the number one seed, but we want to win it all. We don't want to share it with anybody. Just wanted to get that in on the Wofford game as we transitioned to Western Carolina, and kind of Coach Forbes did there. Wrapped up the one seed, now going into Asheville. Certainly the SoCon favorite. Have what is the quote-unquote preferred road. And now as we look at Western more from, I believe, Coach Forbes. I've played with Lucas no. for two years now. And I've never seen him do anything like that. Not in practice, not Come in, the, in the game. Yeah. So for him to do that tonight, and then as he's running back down the court, I'm getting excited with him. But I see the look in his eyes, and I saw the look that he wants to win this game. And so that kind of uplifted my performance as a player because I saw my brother going hard for the team. So I was like, yes, I got to turn up, and I got to do my job. And for him to do that, uh, it was amazing. I mean, it was that's what got us going. It was definitely the spark. So, I mean, that was definitely play of the game. I agree with you on that. But uh, he just – that was, that was awesome. Love to hear the talk from Trey Boy. My brother came down, so the look in his eyes, we got to go do this together. And now here's Coach Forbes, or it might be Trey still. I don't even really know. I haven't listened to this audio since Wednesday night on Western Carolina. I know we got uh, 40 more minutes of the regular season. I mean, we just got a great win today, but like Coach say, uh, the 24-hour rule, we just got to leave this after tomorrow and get ready for Western. And we can't take them lightly. You got to go there and be ready to play our last, for the seniors, our last home game. I mean, it's going to be bittersweet because I love Freedom Hall. I love the fans there. So I get to play in front of them one more time, so I'm going to give it my all. I know my senior brothers, they're going to give it their all. So, I mean, it's going to be a bittersweet moment, but we we going to take care of business. And it's nothing like knowing that we can go 
on our home floor, win one more game in regular season and cut down the nets on our home floor. That's just a Cinderella story. That's something that doesn't happen a lot. We can make it happen on Saturday. So, I mean, we locked in and ready for it. This is a, a vision that I have every year at the beginning of the year is for our seniors to play on senior night on the last game for the conference championship to cut down the nets. It just doesn't get any better than that. And so I know you'll be there on Saturday because these kids deserve it. They're tremendous representatives of our institution. They play their tails off. And we're about to play for a championship and cut down some nets on Saturday. Being celebrated, Trey Boyd the third, Jerome Rodriguez, Isaiah Tisdale, Joe Hughley, Lucas Goussaint. And I was going over the senior class yesterday with a couple of people. And, goodness, this year you look at it. And perhaps last year when Lucas hadn't really come into his own and obviously didn't know Joe was going to be here. And uh, Trey, I think, still had some growing to do. And Coach Forbes talked about that in the post game with you as well, how they sat down and had some tough one-on-one conversations and said, look, are, are you going to be on board with us or do you want to do your own thing? You know, And he's made those strides and matured and, you know, I think a lot of those guys have taken big steps this year. Now, you can also even it out and say, well, Jeremy Rodriguez has been hurt for seven weeks, and so he hasn't given you maybe what, obviously what he did last year, and maybe what you expected this season. What, he had 15 double-doubles last year, top 25 in a couple of categories nationally when it comes to rebounding. So, uh, But overall, the totality of this senior class, extremely productive, going to be extremely hard to replace, and truly a class that, especially with the progress from last year at this time to this year at this time has come so far and really stepped into this leading role and the progress that they needed to make so effectively so efficiently and they've taken ETSU to one of their most special years at least through this point of the season and obviously (laughs) where you're judged is just coming up now but certainly one of the most special years I think in Buccaneer history yeah I think they've got a chance to put a stand number one they could be the all-time Winning his team uh, twice in ETSU's history, 28 win seasons, uh, one in the glory days and then one um, first year of Murray Bartow uh, when he went to the tournament, lost to Cincinnati, Tim Smith, Gerald Fields, Zicky Wadu, that group. So um, <clears throat> Brad Knuckles, I think, Ben Rota. Anyways, the, those two teams, 28 wins, um, solid situation. ETSU, 26, right? 26 wins, 26 and four. So – they get to the championship game. They win the championship game. You're looking at 29 wins. Actually, I'm sorry. They beat West Carolina. They at least get to the uh, championship game. They would have the most wins already in school history. I think that's something to hang your hat on, something. Again, there's there's some things that people just can't take away from you, right? They can't take a uh, overall, if they win Saturday, an overall conference championship. Nobody can take that away from you, right? You get a one seed. You get a cut down net on your home floor. You are the Southern Conference champion. Then you get a chance to say, okay, now I'm going to be one of a few teams that's going to be able to go to an NCAA tournament. To get to play in the game to get there, I can go ahead and put my name on I am the winningest team that ever played in school history. So there's a lot of things that's very special about this year. The unselfishness, because when you go back and you look at what made, I think, what people remember that four-year run with Les Robinson, Alan LaForce, the, the glory years, late 80s, early 90s, was that they had a lot of thousand point scores, which means they shared the ball. There wasn't, a, you know, a situation where it's one guy, two guy, three guys, like four, five, six guys during their tenure came through and, and scored a thousand points. So I think you can look at it that way. When you look at Ed Chellis's team, it was pretty much a three head monster. You're looking at Tim Smith, Gerald Fields, the Kiwa dude. 
and yes, there were role players that played a very integral part of that, but those three guys were your scorers. Then you look at the very next year was Murray Bartow. That team goes back-to-back. Then you fast-forward to the back-to-back years. Uh, later in Bartow's tenure, the uh, I think it was 09 and 10 NCAA tournament teams, three-headed monster. Again, yes, they had other players, but Kevin Tiggs, uh, Mike Smith, Courtney Peager, and then others. This is more of eight different guys have scored. People are doing things they don't normally do. Trey Boyd had eight rebounds two games ago. He had uh, four steals in this game. You're looking at his assist numbers have come up. You're looking at Isaiah Tizzo's doing things defensively that he wasn't able to do and makes plays there. Luke Casson comes off a 15-rebound game to come up with a steal and to play the game when ETSU needed a momentum shift. You look at what Pat Good can come in and do, Joe Hughley. Everyone here on the list, even Bo Hodges, quiet. And it was a quiet 14 points for Bo Hodges, I thought. But everybody on the list seems to only be concerned with winning, and that is scary when you get six, seven, eight, nine guys at the same time on the floor not caring who gets the glory. It's the glory of the team. So that, to me, is what makes this team even more special than some of the others because it is all about we're not getting shot envy or point envy or who's getting the credit or who's doing the postgame chat or – Who's getting this media request? We are all about, I don't care. Does he? Can he help me win? Can he make a play? I just want to win. And that's what everyone has got on that same page. And Coach Forbes has done a great job of bringing it. Because this isn't usually when teams like that, it's like Mr. Teams, where they all kind of came in in a one, two-year period. And they all stay together for four or five years, you know, depending on red shirts and other things. That's normally how you do it. ETSU football a couple years ago, right? Those were all fifth-year seniors, and some of them weren't on the field, but they were such team guys that helped carry the team. This is a situation where, no, they're not. They, they got a fifth-year transfer. You got a couple junior college kids. You got, you know, a few guys that coaches brought in, for, you know, as freshmen, and you know, you got a high-level transfer down and Lucas Casson, just all over the place. But so, much like that team, that ETSU football team you talked about, still in it together and have found a way to get on the same page maybe not for longevity that they've been together but for whatever has brought them around the fireplace quote unquote to really band with each other side by side as brothers if it is winning if it is just the whatever the case may be and they all say the right things they all talk about winning if that's it it's done it but it hasn't been longevity with this team as it maybe was with ETSU football but still they found a way, regardless of being from a number of different places. It, once they went on the, the Europe trip, the, the team building, and if anyone ever really thinks, well, gosh, these guys, they're always together, what does that matter? They all came back from Europe talking about the bonding, and it was all mainly off-the-court bonding, right? And so it, you only played three games. You, you didn't practice a lot. They were doing a bunch of other things, and I think that's what really – really changed you know there are teams that people don't realize i mean even mr's teams there were a couple of guys on those teams that didn't get along and and uh, you know you can easily figure it out by the guys that don't come back and celebrate with them but you can look at a few other teams and guys got point envy shot envy glory envy and again when some of those teams come back you can very easily see who's not with them and you can figure it out you know this team when it comes back it, i would be shocked if not all the guys try to come back whenever these guys do something when this is all said and done the special year is over with because they truly seem to get along on and off the floor. And to me, again, it's amazing after the game that everyone's literally saying the same thing. We just want to win. I didn't care. Or term brother. That's used a lot. 
you know, or how he's competing or what he's doing, or I saw him doing something. I got to pick up my play. So lead by example and uh, max effort seems to be what ETSU has been able to use, you know, and I think when you're a good team, ETSU would be a good team, even if they had selfish players, but to be a great team, you've got to be unselfish and ETSU has been unselfish. Let me just say this, West, I know we were very long in today's episode already, <laughs> but Western Carolina, obviously the big thing, ETSU didn't see uh, Dotson in the first right. matchup. He's going to be back. He's a machine. Mason Faulkner's fresh off a triple-double uh, against Sanford. I think he had uh, 16 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists. Wow. Uh, you already mentioned Steger threw an amazing 31 on the board, 7 of 11 from 3. You know, uh, Xavier Cork, who got his first action versus ETSU back up, he's been playing very well, and that was really his coming-out party because he didn't get to play a lot but sparingly when Dotson. But once he played well against ETSU, it was like, hey, we're able to do it. Bad news is Cameron Gibson has not played since the ETSU game. That was an ugly-looking situation. I've still um, – of course, I've not reached out. I'm sure Daniel Hooker would probably tell me uh, what what's up. That's sports information guy for – West Carolina, what's up with Cameron? I'll, I'll ask, try to give an update, but it, it didn't look good. It was very easy to see that that could be something that took him out the rest of the year. And so far, it appears that Cameron Gibson has been lost. But they still got uh, talented guys. Trevion McCray come off the bench. Marcus Thomas, the guy that's hurt the Bucks before. Uh, it just kind of stinks for Cameron Gibson because he was the guy who, again, averaged like 10, 12 points, played ETSU. He's averaging like 23 and a half. And so, again, some guys play well against other people we only took one shot only played two minutes left and uh so it's interesting to see what will western carolina be with dotson uh, as opposed to without dotson and again it's also they're playing i would be a lot more concerned about this game if it was at western but it's senior day you're looking close to a sellout already and this is friday at almost 11 a.m for us when we're recording this and uh, almost all the tickets are already gone now so you're looking six thousand plus Energy. Last time we're going to see the floor, I think, interesting to see how ETSU handles it. Travion McCray and Anno Steger have been really the two that have filled in for Gibson lately. McCray's double digits in four straight after just one double-digit game rest of the year. Steger had eight double-figure games his first 20. Now he's eight straight in double figures. And Dotson, you talked about, I mean, he's just been a beast, a stud, uh, most dominant post in the league, and I don't think there's really any question about it. Double digits all but three times this year. Double-digit rebounds, 15 of the last 16 I mentioned earlier. Double-doubles in 14 of them. So you talked about Drummer Rodriguez had 15 double-doubles last year, and Dotson's got 14 double-doubles in his last 16 games. It's pretty impressive. I think for the Bucks to win this game – I'm, a, I'm with you 100% that it's an emotional day. It's going to be a celebratory occasion where you want to honor these seniors, send them out the right way, and the crowd's going to be into it. It's going to be bittersweet, as Trey Boyd said. But I see no possible scenario in which ETSU doesn't come out with a victory here. And I think to do it and make sure that you get that victory and it doesn't have to be close and you can, you know, take the seniors out, give them a big round of applause and not have to leave them until the very end. Uh, use the UNCG formula. What UNCG did to him a couple weeks back. Dotson had 32. He dominated. He was incredible. Uh, but the rest of the team had 30 points. Steger was 4 of 14 for 14 points. Faulkner was 0 of 9. And he's got 7 points in 2 games against UNCG. Whatever UNCG is doing against Mason Faulkner is the exact right thing that everyone should key in on because if you take him away, if you take Steger away, if you take anybody else that's going to contribute, and just let Dotson get his, 
if you can score, which ETSU is going to be able to against Western Carolina, they've allowed 80-plus three times in the last seven games and 70-plus each of the last seven. If you know you can score, you can let Dotson do whatever he wants. Uh, and UNCG had 85 the first matchup. Uh, or pardon me, ETSU had 85 the first matchup against Western. Only 32 of those were in the paint. So the Bucks can score from the perimeter, from the mid-range against Western Carolina. And they showed that you know it wasn't just the fact that Carlos Dotson was missing that they were able to put up 85 because Isaiah Tisdale and Trey Boyd had 42 points on 23 shots. So if you can just use that UNCG formula and just do a lot of the basic things that you did the first time around, I'm not sure if you're going to count on 26 and 12 from Isaiah Tisdale. Remember that was a game that he blew up and had like six threes, but the guards can score against this team. Take away Faulkner, take away Stager on the defensive end and just let Dotson do whatever he wants, man up on everybody else. And this is a runaway victory to me. I I think all the things that uh, now we could celebrate. Yeah, I, truly. I think that's the key. The fans are there. It's senior day. Let's it's emotional. It. The way they pulled for each other. I don't know about a runaway, but I do see ETSU uh, winning the contest and wrapping up the regular season championship. Let's get at it. Add a boy, Steve. He's ready to go. All right, I'll do it. Men's basketball as uh, I don't know. Is that an hour of your day already? It was an hour. All right, we'll step aside for a timeout. We'll talk ETSU women's basketball arch nemesis. Chattanooga Mock. Drop this time out to work. Send him sidekick. Buccaneer Sports Network. <laughs> Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty? Naughty and nice? Hot and cold? Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sanderson is high kick back with you. Turn our attention to ETSU women's basketball. The last time ETSU and Chattanooga met on the women's court, it was a triple overtime Yow. thriller. Yow. Not in Manila. It was in Brooks Gym, though. Yes. Doesn't rhyme. This one, I, I know. I, couldn't, I was trying yeah. to work through it. Couldn't get it done. No. You've never been quick on your feet, have you? No. <laughs> have, you, have you seen my feet? <laughs> no. Very uh, flat-footed. That's Ar- upside the point. So, Ariel Harvey was missing with an ankle injury that game. Then, Jada Craig left in the fourth quarter with an injury. Then, Ty Kimbrough, Elise Stafford, and finally, Shania Jackson fouled out. And Jackson fouled out with the Bucks down four in the third overtime. And that's when Chattanooga would score seven of the final nine and win 91-82. to 82. Uh, ETSU, after Jackson fouled out, was left with Micah Sheets, Kaya Upton, Gabby Brown, Amaya Adams, Sierra Purdue. Those were the only five players that they had to go out to the court. So, they had to play those five for the rest of the way and Upton ended up playing all 55 minutes which is still the longest in a single game in the NCAA at division one this year there were a couple of division three players that surpassed that a couple of weeks back but still across 350 teams the most minutes played in a single game this year Kaya Upton most minutes played in ETSU history in program history over 50-plus years. Kaya Upton. Micah Sheets played 53-plus minutes. So you had those two, and then it was kind of a, a group that you just had to turn to. And Gabby Brown and my and Sierra Purdue fought their tails off, couldn't get the victory. Really, I think a heartbreaking one not to come up with. Uh, first day of February, 
and you had your pink game. It was at home, rival, you know, all the things that go into a game like that. Ebony Williams was just huge for Chattanooga, and she's the one that worries me the most in this matchup. 25 points, 16 rebounds in that first meeting. Now, of course, those stats are a little bit inflated because it went to triple overtime, but she's athletic. She can leap, can get past you on the dribble, and, and that's where I worry for ETSU when facing Williams because you don't have necessarily – great on-ball athletic defenders. I would almost play Gabby Brown at Ebony Williams the entire day and just see what happens because Williams is going to, and, and it's not cutting down Micah Sheets or Elise Stafford at all, they are very solid basketball players, but the quickness and explosion that Ebony Williams brings to the offensive end of the floor you just have to have someone that's going to run around, chase her, be in her face, take away everything she wants to do off the dribble. She's a bit of an erratic finisher, not a high-percentage shooter, but if you can have someone that makes her life even more difficult where she doesn't just get around you right off the dribble, uh, I think that your life is going to be a lot easier tomorrow in Chattanooga. I think Gabby Brown is that tireless, energetic, leave it all on the floor, uh, and she showed that in the fourth quarter against Mercer uh, last Saturday when ETSU came from behind when she had like six rebounds and a steal and a couple of assists and got to the free-throw line. and So... She's what really worries me. She killed the Bucks the first time around, and she's also their leading rebounder, tied second in blocks, and leads the team in steals. She does a lot for this team. Lakeland Bolden, of course, is the name everyone recognizes. She's got her senior day tomorrow. Um, this is going to be a, a tough contest, no doubt. Chattanooga playing for a share of the league title, at the very least. Should UNCG and Sanford lose, Chattanooga solo league champions in the one seed, uh, and there's some tie-break things there if the teams do end up tied. But ETSU is still something to play for as well, trying to lock up the sixth seed. Mercer beat Western Carolina last night, and so if they win, they've got the tie break over Mercer uh, and they would be the sixth seed if they lose and Mercer wins playing UNCG tomorrow maybe the seventh just have to match results right that's right you win you know there's six if you lose Mercer lose still the six you just can't have Mercer win ETSU lose that puts you in the six seven matchup there as you said the log jam and the only thing that scares me is I'm looking at the log jam UNCG six and one at home in league play now they're going to be on the road they're at Mercer who is four and two at home so that's an interesting setup there Sanford's four and two at home they've got West Carolina's one and five on the road. Right. Chattanooga's five and one at home. That's what scares me. They've been able to figure out, at least in league play, how to be better at home, how to win more games, how to do some things in the roundhouse. So I think ETSU uh, has an opportunity. Again, Chattanooga, the way this league is, I don't, I, no team scares me really in the women's basketball. And as we talked about quarterfinal day in the men's side, could be there. Other than maybe who draws Western Carolina, it would not shock me if there were multiple upsets in the quarterfinals and the semis and who plays in the championship. That being said, everyone's still trying to fight for a better position. And where the men is pretty much set, I can tell you who is going to play. I can't tell you who can wear a white jersey in the 8-9 game or the 4-5, but I can tell you who's going to be slotted in either the 4 or the 5, 8-9. Every other position is exactly set. Literally can't the say that 1 through nothing, 7 right now. Nothing. No, you can't because Furman Wofford play. The, that would go, if Furman beats Wofford, that goes to a tiebreaker. The yep. only thing I can tell you for sure. I know 100% West Carolina is the eighth seed. Other than that, I got nothing for you. Well, and last night made it that much more complicated because if Western Carolina would have beaten Mercer again, well, really the bottom half wouldn't have been more complicated because you would have had three wins apiece for Mercer and Western Carolina. Let's say both those teams won on Saturday. The Bucks lose, and it's a three-way tie. But ETSU does have the tiebreak there, well, too, because they swept Western Carolina and Mercer. I, I could give you the nightmare scenario, which is basically Furman beats Wofford. 
And so uh, Wofford sits at – oh, I'm sorry, Wofford beats Furman. Four-way tie yeah, for the yeah, top. They could get that a four, that's exactly yeah. right. ETSU <laughs> would beat Chet. Mercer uh, beats UNCG. Western pulls off the upset at Sanford. Then you're talking about a four-way tie at 9-5. and five. Yeah. And Furman would be the only team that would be locked into the five. You want it. And with that doing, ETSU would be the six because they would have won. Mercer would have won. They'd be the seven and Western eight. But the four-way, you'd have to go into a lot of math. So a at, lot of math. At the top, if uh, things could have even still been messy yesterday if UNCG would have beaten Sanford at the top because then you'd have UNCG, Sanford, and Chattanooga all with the same record against each other. It would have been two and two. Now, that being said, I believe Sanford would have been, what, 8-5 and five at that point? But you – and so UNCG would have had 10 wins, so a three-way, three-way tie would have been impossible. But now you're sitting with 9-4, and 9-4, and 9-4. And Sanford has the tiebreak because they're 3-1 and one against UNCG and Chattanooga. Chattanooga's 2-2, two and two, and then uh, UNCG is 1-3 because they were swept by Sanford with Sanford winning last night. So three-way tie, no idea which way that's going to go, but Sanford – with the tie break and also the fact they're playing Western Carolina at home, you would have to think that they are the favorite at this point to be able to take that top spot. And it's important for ETSU, keep in mind, because it's the one through three that we're trying to decide, and ETSU is either going to be the six or the seven. Now we don't know what to root for because depending on what you're looking at, who do you want, UNCG, Sanford, Chattanooga? I would want to face Chattanooga or Wofford. If the four, if we can get a four-way tie, I'd Wofford without Chloe Wanaka, I think that's – a game that you can win uh, without the preseason league player of the year because you tore ACL, horrible thing. But now looking at how things are, I think Wofford or Chattanooga are the ones you want to play. Now also we played Chattanooga once, and it was obviously triple overtime. And great effort from the Bucks Didn't come out with the victory. Interesting to see how tomorrow goes because that is the rematch. But right now, I think Wofford or Chattanooga are the ones you want to play. But how do you root for anything? Because right. you don't know if you're going to be the six or the seven. It's just impossible to, to tell right now. Gosh, it's some fr- you get into conference time, man. It's just... It is just a good time of year, and head coach Brittany Zell got a chance to go and, again, uh, pick up a win, two-game win streak, right, going into the tournament. To me, I still contend it's whoever's going to be the hottest kind of going in, and right now Chattanooga would be the hottest. But think about this. If Chattanooga loses ETSU, ETSU would be tied for the longest win streak in the league. (laughs) That's how crazy it's been. Right now, UNCG, one-game lose streak. Sanford, one-game win streak. Four-game win streak, Chattanooga. One-game win streak, Wofford. Furman, one-game loss streak. ETSU Mercer, one-game win streaks. Western, four-game lose streak. It would be the longest, tied for the longest win streak. And I've always said, who's going to win the conference championship? Who has the longest win streak going in? Boom, go. Chattanooga won one non-conference game. They were written off, right? I mean, one non-conference win, they're done. But now they're 9-4 and four in the league, won four in a row. Three of those by six and one by two in their last game to make this race at the top what it was was a win over Sanford. Otherwise, things would not be nearly as convoluted as they are, but they won by six over Sanford last time out. They've outscored opponents by 26 points in league play, two per game. They were outscored by 288 points in non-conference play. 288. That was 20 per game, over 20 per game, and now they're outscoring teams by two per game. That's a 22-point flip from the non-conference to the conference. It's Lakeland Bolden and Nakia Burks. The seniors are being celebrated tomorrow. Burks had 26 points in her career with no starts entering the season this year. Started all 27 games, averaging 7.2 per game, 195 total points. So you do the quick math. It's like seven times as many points this year as she had the previous three years combined. Bolden, again, you recognize her because she's just been so consistent. Seems like she's been there for a long time. Uh, And just because she has been talked about for so long, averaging double figures each of her four years there is the team's leading scorer, four double-digit games uh, consecutively. 
entering senior day. I think the big key here is Ty Kimbrough and Shania Jackson in their post-defense and guarding Bria Dial, Ebony Williams, and Abby Cornelius. Those three combined for 64 points, 32 rebounds, and 20 of 24 from the line in the first game. And Kimbrough at six foot four, I think, has to show a bit more interest on the defensive end of the court. Now, that being said, she's probably going to be all-defensive team because she leads the conference in blocks. Uh, but the last five or six games, she really hasn't been present. It hasn't seemed like on the court as much as she was through the middle portions of the season when she was averaging like nine points and eight rebounds per game for that middle portion. Uh, but those two were beaten pretty badly by Dial and Williams, who are both six feet tall, and then Cornelius, who's six foot two. To combat that height, you need Kimbrough and Jackson, your two bigs that are going to be out there a lot to really be locked in. And as I said, how you plan on stopping Ebony Williams, um, I would put your most energetic lockdown defender on her. And just say, run around, chase her, make sure she doesn't get the ball in good positions, stop her off the dribble because she loves to catch in that mid-range and go to the basket. Uh, and, and even if you're beaten, still contest the shot because she doesn't finish around the rim prolifically a lot of the time. So uh, after a triple overtime game, what, almost a month ago? It was the first day of February. This is going to round out February, the last day of February. Uh, you hope there isn't as much symmetry in the results as there was for when these teams are playing each other. I first of all I hope it's not a triple overtime game, right? But uh, ETSU desperately needs to save as many legs as they can right. for what it's going. I do think uh, if ETSU can just slow down Williams on Senior Day, he's going to same reason I think ETSU is going to have a good one on the men's side. If they can slow down Senior Day, get some emotion, I think they need at least Stafford to certainly not go over. Right, need her to hit a couple of threes, and I like your game. take on Gabby Brown seeing some more action, being able to go. She's she plays so hard all the time. I think it'll be, um, I, I think she can contribute and take a little bit of pressure off. The other thing I would say, if ETSU can force turnovers again, because that's what they did the first game and got points off turnovers, they were very efficient in that. That's a way ETSU can go in there and snake a win from Chattanooga. So that's case. You will have the pregame show one thirty two o'clock yeah. airtime. And we'll go straight from there to Freedom Hall for the 4 o'clock game versus West Carolina. Bold predictions and wrap up of this podcast. After this timeout, Sando Sidekick, Buccaneer Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandos live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show, every Wednesday at 6, right here on WXSMAM 640, The Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you no, might. No, no, no. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA What's job. What's that now? Bold prediction. Wow, 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 wow. I am charging hard. 
16 bold predictions correct to your 18. And do we have a bold prediction segment next week? We do, don't we? Uh, yeah, we may have to do it pre-tournament, though. Mm. Do it on Wednesday. Do like a Wednesday yeah. slash Friday yeah. combo I may, have a, show. I may have a couple good ones there. I've got more probably thinking about that than I do for this <laughs> week's. Well, don't look too far ahead because objects in your mirror are closer than yeah. they appear. Yeah. I have bold predictions. Do you have bold predictions? Yeah, I go. Okay. Micah Sheets has not scored more than 20 points since the December 20th win over South Alabama. She scored 20 against Chattanooga last time that the Bucks played, but she has not scored more than 20. In over two months, Micah Sheets more than 20 for ETSU for the first time in many, many games. Over 20. Over 20. Not 20, over 20. Got to be over 20. Ooh, 21 or more. 21 or more. All right. I like that. It's on me. I guess it is. I, uh, I was trying to th- – I was trying to – you know, not good at math. I was trying to add it up. True. And what a – going to be a senior day for sure and try to showcase the senior. You what, better not take the one that I'm about to use. Don't do it. I, I don't know what you're going to do. Don't do it. I was going to do the seniors. Yeah, you're going to do it. We're going to combine four. Ah, you're going to do it. How what, many? What were you going to say? I was going to go every senior in double figures. Not quite the same, but pretty similar. That was pretty similar. So there are five seniors, right? Yes. You're going to say 50? because That's, that's exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> I was going to go 50. Same prediction. It's uh, going to go 50. Oh, man. What else can I do? Okay. Well, I'll give you your 50. Let me think about my, uh, let's see, 50 or more seniors. I'm going with Nevada uh, over yeah, San Diego I know. State. I just I got that one written yes. down. This is unbelievable. Hey, hey. Nevada over San Diego we, State, we, right? Yes. Oh, I got that written we've down. We've each stolen one from each other, so oh. now things are even. I oh, get that one. one. I get that one. Oh. So I'll get that one. You get oh. the 50 or more for the seniors. Do you have a third one that you can throw in or no? Oh. oh okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I was I was so happy to have that one, and then I was going to scour for a third one real quick. Let me go to uh, – That is fantastic. Oh, that is unbelievable. Who Who's playing – let's see here. In the uh, – let's go to the men's Southern Conference real quick. Let's see. I'll tell you what I, I'm going to do. Here, I'll, I'll pick up where you left off. I'm going to go ahead and say that non-seniors mm-hmm. score 50 or more. Combined. Non-seniors, you're going to go, okay, opposite, okay. okay. It's not really opposite, though, because I still do believe that right. the seniors are going to score 50 or more. So, so you're going, we're going to put 100 on the board. That's exactly right. Going to put 100 on the board. That's right. They're known to give up points, mm. and they will give up many of them on senior day. Mm. What do we talk about with Trey Boyd post-game? You mentioned that, you know, obviously this is going to be an emotional day, bittersweet, and he said, you know, we got a chance to cut down the nets on our home court. It's like a storybook. What would be storybook? blowing out your final opponent, cutting down those nets, the seniors getting 50 plus the future getting 50. Storybook. Mm. You know, I mentioned earlier, to, to clarify, VMI and Sanford are going to be the 8-9 game, right? That's, yes. So this Saturday, they'll end the regular season. The yes. next Saturday, play 8-9 game. Right. Also, UNCG and, and Chattanooga are going to be the 3-6 game this Saturday. Technically, it's not 3-6 game because you've got to wait to the following Saturday. Chattanooga, yeah, they're at home now. But they're going to beat UNCG only for UNCG to get really fired up and to throttle them <laughs> in the Southern Conference. <laughs> so do both tournament. of those things need to happen for this prediction to be right, or are you just going with this Saturday? I'm going with this Saturday okay. first, and that's going to be my okay. next one. Okay. I'm bold. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to – yes, I think Chattanooga is going to win this game. 
uh, against Greensboro, and I think my ne- I'll give you a hint next week. I'm going to go with a – and I will give a, a – Like a, a 50 high, yes. point well, just I, destruction. Well, I won't give a 50, but it, it will definitely be a 15 or more. Oh, that's not better get to 25 or more for well, that. Well, first of all, I don't think UNCG has been favored by a 10 in a game. Neutral site, tournament, winning time. We'll see. There. We'll see what, what – uh, Matt Ryan's going to fold under pressure. Let's be honest. Oh, that's true. That's true. All right. Do I need a third one? That's General Matt Ryan. That, that, and believe it or not, that's just, uh, that's just, just my second one. Yeah, you got one minute. I got one minute. You got one minute. So just to recap, I've got Micah Sheet scoring more than 20 against Chattanooga. I was able to win the race to take Nevada over San Diego State. It worked for me last week because San Diego State was part of the seven lower-ranked or unranked teams that beat ranked teams. So I'm going right back to Nevada over San Diego State. And then non-seniors, 50 points or more for ETSU men's basketball. You have Chad over UNCG on Saturday and then 50 or more for the seniors, which uh, prediction I just lost. It's got me. I think it's happening. You got 27 seconds. <laughs> the countdown's on. If you don't get it, then you don't get a third bowl prediction. How about that? Uh, that is fair. Time's a ticking there, Sandos. Can I take Virginia versus Duke? I'll give you that, sure. I mean, Vir- that Vir- Virginia is unranked. Unless they're favored at game time. Unless they're favored at game time. Yeah, well, I'll give it to you. And then I'll give you another one. All right. Buccaneers World Network. See you Monday. See ya. Let's get at it.